Welcome to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the official podcast of Broadmoor Baptist Church. Father and son went fishing one day. While they were out on the water, the boy suddenly became curious about things in general and started asking all sorts of questions. He asked the father, why does the boat float? The father replied, don't rightly know, son. A little later, the boy looked at his father and asked, how do fish breathe underwater? Once again, the father answered, don't rightly know, son. A little later, the boy asked his father, Why is the sky blue? And again, the father answered, Don't rightly know, son. Finally, the boy asked his father, Do you mind me asking you all these questions? The father replied, Of course not. If you don't ask questions, you'll, questions, you'll never learn nothing. Our passage this morning begins with the question, why? Why? The question every generation has asked, the question that religion has sought to answer, why? It's as old as our asking, why did that bush just move? Maybe the wind, maybe a tiger, maybe a ghost, maybe it's God. And so asking why protects us. It protects us and gives meaning. Because we ask, is the mover good or dangerous? Why? Why did she die? Senseless death. Why? We've been for centuries trying to answer that question what was the cause? Was the causer kind or mean? Was it a tiger or just the wind? Or maybe it was God. Senseless tragedies. Why do they happen? It's not enough for us to say, well, because the other driver didn't stop at the light. Senseless tragedies must make sense 
And so we put words into God's mouth. As the saying goes, it's hard to let God be God. We long to explain things only God can know. Some years ago, William Sloan Coffin preached a sermon about our temptation to speak God's mind. During the years when he was senior pastor of Riverside Church in New York City, his son Alex died in a tragic car accident. Alex was driving in a terrible storm, lost control of his car, careened into the waters of the Boston Harbor. The following Sunday, Dr. Coffin was able to preach about his son's death. He thanked everyone for the messages of condolence and the food that was brought to his house and for an arm around his shoulder when no words could do. But then he also raged. He raged about the well-meaning folks who had hinted that Alex's death may have been God's will. He said, I knew the anger would do me good. He said, do you think it was God's will that Alex never fixed that lousy windshield wiper? Was it God's will that he probably was driving too fast in such a storm? That he probably had had a couple of frosties too too many? Do you think it was God's will that there were no street lights along that stretch of road? Was it God's will there was no guardrail separating the road and Boston Harbor? The one thing that should never be said when someone dies is it is the will of God. Because never do we know enough to say that. He said, my own consolation lies in knowing that when the waves closed over that sinking car, God's heart was the first of all hearts to break. We long to make sense of senseless tragedies to know reasons when there are none. In our passage, Jesus anticipates these questions. Two terrible tragedies had happened in Jerusalem. One happened in the temple, the other near the pool of Siloam. In the first one, Pilate, the Roman governor, had killed some Galileans who were making sacrifices in the temple and then mixed their blood with the sacrifices. They were at worship. And no doubt this was a warning to all the Jews to remember that Rome was in charge. In the other incident, the tower that fell on people near the Pool of Siloam killed 18 people who simply happened to be standing in that spot. How can these make sense? Those are the questions on their mind. Are those who suffer worse sinners? Was God punishing them? That's the question he asked. He knew that was on their minds. Were the Galileans worse sinners than other Galileans? Were the people killed by the tower worse offenders than all other offenders in Jerusalem? We say it wouldn't have happened unless God had a reason for it. But Jesus says, do you think these tragedies happened because they deserved it? No. But I tell you, unless you repent, you all will perish as they did. No, 
because it was God's, not because it was God's will. Instead, the Galileans, the Galileans were killed by Pilate, who simply killed for the fun of it, for the whim. Pilate desired control. It could have been anybody offering sacrifices that day. Maybe Pilate hated those Galileans. But what does that have to do with God? The people killed by the tower. It could have been anyone standing there that day. The reason? Maybe it was shoddy workmanship. Maybe it was a strong wind. It could have been anyone. What does that have to do with God? Sometimes bad things just happen. Listen, were those who died worse sinners than others? Was it because they were bad? No, but it was not because they were saints either. If we don't know enough to say, sometimes we say, well, I guess God just really needed them in heaven to brighten the place up. He needed to kill them to decorate heaven. Really? No, sometimes bad things just happen. And if it's more, then we don't know. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. So why does he say repent? Or it'll happen to you. Because when we fixate on other people's spiritual condition... It distracts us from dealing with our own. We speculate about the spiritual condition of those bad people out there. And we forget about our own spiritual condition in need of help. Like when he says, stop fixating on the specks of dust in other people's eyes. And fixate instead on the the log that's in your own. So no, it isn't a story about punishment and judgment of sinners. But it can be a wake-up call for our life. Because then he tells the parable. Parable about the fig tree. In a response to questions without answers. He says, you never know when it can be you. You in worship. You standing there by the tower in the wrong spot. So he tells the story of the fig tree. Listen, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, look, for three years I have come to this fig tree looking for fruit and have found none. So cut it down. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? That sounds like a judgment to me. A parable of judgment. If you fail to repent, you're like a dead tree. And God will cut you down, right? As a preacher, I'd end the parable right there. Because regardless of what Jesus says about there being no connection between a person's spiritual condition and judgment... If we end the parable and cut it down, then Jesus just changed his mind. 
The tree is spiritually dead, so let the tower fall on them, right? That's what we might want to say. It was God's will for you, atheists. God's will for you, liberals, conservatives. God's will for you, whoever. We look around today, and not many people are turning to Jesus. People are mean. They're calling each other names, cutting each other down, accusing each other of lying, and that's just in our politics. We have a whole generation of young people today with no religious affiliation. And hanging from our little crosses, we say, Father, don't forgive them. They know exactly what they're doing. Cut them down. But if we were all judged by our spiritual condition, there'd not be one soul left on this earth. Not even we in here would pass the test. Thankfully, there was an advocate in that garden. Thankfully, the gardener said, don't cut it down. Don't cut it down, sir. Leave it alone for one more year. One more year. Let me dig around it. Let me fertilize that tree. If it bears fruit next year, very well. But if not, you can cut it down. It does not sound like judgment. It sounds like hope to me. I don't know fig trees well. Used to get fig preserves from time to time from a woman in Georgia. But I do love the detail in that conversation. The way Jesus tells the story. You can almost smell the dirt, can't you? You can almost feel the grain of dirt in your fingers. You can almost hear the chopping, smell the manure. Why tell us these details? Why slow this, the parable down to tell us step by step what he will do? Except that maybe to show us that it's awfully hard, smelly work. All for a dead tree. I don't see why the gardener doesn't just cut it down. It's using precious space, using up resources that you could put a healthier, better tree that could be producing fruit. Just say, you're fired. Hire another. They're costing you too much. You hear him? That's a lot of hard work, smelly work for a dead tree. But this isn't a parable about farming because a good gardener wouldn't have thought twice. That tree is dead. It's been dead for over three years. A good gardener would see no reason to feed a dead tree or to expect any fruit from that dead tree. Thankfully, we are in charge of this parable. Jesus is that gardener. And he refuses to give up on those in his vineyard, alive or dead. But what is his vineyard? The whole world? For God so loved the world? Or is it just the church, those of us in here who are 
not were sinners. Or maybe it's just you and me. Or maybe it's all the above. Either way, the gardener is not giving up on us. Even when we are clearly dead, there is hope. We say, cut them all down, pull the weeds, build the fire. But over and over and over, the Bible says, new life emerges from death. New life is possible. There is hope. When God threatened to wipe out the world with the flood, there was Noah. When God threatened to wipe out the Israelites in the wilderness, there was Moses. When God threatened to wipe out and chop down Israel like a tree, there was a stump, a remnant. We shouldn't be surprised God doesn't give up on dead trees like us. There is hope, but there's no excuse to procrastinate or to be lazy. There is a sense of urgency here. One more year. One more year. Now, how do we hear that? If you're young, you're full of life, and you have a lot of time to bear fruit, just one more year sounds like bad news. If you're walking along and a tower just falls on you, that's bad news. If you're at worship and there's a massacre, that's bad news. But if you are dead already, already dead, living a fruitless life, and everyone is saying, you're worthless, and then you hear God say, I'm not giving up on you, that's good news. Now, some preachers like to preach this. Where will you be if tonight you were to die? But Jesus doesn't really do that here. Here it sounds like a second chance, like one more time. It sounds like the gardener, Jesus, believes in us. He believes he can turn things around with you and me. It sounds like he believes he can bring some life from death. Like I'm going to find every way possible to break through that hardened soil. I'm going to dig it. I'm going to dig it out and dig it out, and I'm going to put some fertilizer down. You hear? It's not what we can do so much as what he will do. Let me dig around it. Let me fertilize it. Let's see what happens. Remember who he's talking to. And the reason for this story, there's a people standing around there speculating on the spiritual condition of people who experience tragedy. One of those people in New Zealand had to experience that. Or in the other churches we know that have experienced similar things. Why did those people, was it their spiritual condition? Why were they killed? Why were they chopped down by Pilate, cut down by the tower? Jesus said, you're distracted by other people's conditions. I'm going to work on yours. Focus on your condition. Tragedies happen. They're real. Galileans were massacred in worship. The wall fell 
unsuspecting people. There were floods, there were earthquakes, there's terrorists, there's cancer, innocent people, innocent children who get caught in the crossfire, drug wars, road rage. If that isn't enough, then there's old age. It's a character in one of my favorite books by Wendell Berry. He says, even a man of faith knows that we've all got to go through life to kill us. There's enough to kill us. If Jesus is right, then it wasn't their spiritual condition, it wasn't God's judgment that killed them. The lesson is that one of these days, one of these days, one more year, one more day, something is going to get us. So repent now. Repent now. That is, start bearing fruit now. Bananas and oranges. David Buttrick reminds us, repentance is not a matter of salt, tears, and sawdust trails. In the Bible, repentance is simply a change, a deliberate, smart redesigning of lifestyles, he says. That is, change your mind, change your life, make changes now before it's too late. But on the other hand, don't live scared to death. The parable doesn't end at cut it down. The gardener is working on you. The gardener is digging around you, fertilizing you, not to scare you, not giving up on you, but to give you life. God wants, wants good fruit from us. He doesn't sit back and just say, let's just see what happens. But I'm going to work with you. To give good fruit. Am I stingy in sharing my love with my resources? Have I spent too much time judging others? Am I not looking at my own heart? Am I busy making a living rather than making a life? Jesus digs at us with questions like these that no matter who you are, Galileans, pedestrians, good people, bad people, regular people, poor, rich. None of us are worthy. None is worthy, and yet each of us is worth his effort. Just trust him and believe that new life is possible. Whatever it takes, you can see his hands working on you, each of us. We give up on others, we give up on ourselves too easily. We carry our axes chopping away at people all the time. I know because I read it on social media every day. I carry my own axe. Will this be a year of chopping other people down? Or a year of letting Jesus change our heart? I don't know what's going to happen when this year is up. I don't know if by the end of the year you'll have made the changes you need to make. I'm not called to focus on your heart, on their heart. I need to focus on mine. But I won't put words in God's mouth. All I know is that the gardener is working, still working on you, still working on me, to bring fruit from this tree.
life from death. And who knows? This could be the year of figs for you. Let's pray. God, we may feel a little fruitless these days, wondering what difference is my life making? What legacy will I leave behind? What does it matter? Or why is this happening to me so much? Or why is it happening to others too much? Lord, give us, just give us some encouragement. Lift our hearts, reminding us that you're working for us. You're on our side. And help us to partner with you, making the changes, repenting, so that our lives will matter and make a difference. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Broadmoor underscore BC or find us on Facebook or YouTube by searching Broadmoor Baptist Baton Rouge. Thanks for listening to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Broadmoor underscore BC or find us on Facebook or YouTube by searching Broadmoor Baptist Baton Rouge. New episodes every Monday or join us for services in person or online on Sundays.